You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode contains language, imagery, and depictions of racial violence. Please listen with discretion. Pause the episode and come back if you need to. And take care of yourself. The immediate violent criminal reaction of the occupants in shooting at announced police officers emphasizes the extreme viciousness of the Black Panther Party. After a 15-minute gun battle that cost Illinois Black Panther Party Chairman Fred Hampton his life, Sergeant Gross described the parade as 15 minutes of hell and a miracle. A miracle because not one policeman was killed. A miracle because not more policemen were shot. The, the words of the FBI, of Hoover's memo, which was sent to every FBI office in the country that ha, in a major city that had a Black Panther chapter was, we must prevent the rise of a messiah who could unify and electrify the black masses. It's a cold night on Thursday, December 4th. 1969, at 2337 West Monroe Street, on the west side of Chicago, Illinois. A people's gas truck pulls up on the street ominously and randomly. Fourteen plainclothes police officers emerge from this truck, and they aren't empty-handed. With them in tote, they have pistols, a shotgun, and a machine gun. But perhaps the most important thing that they had was a detailed map of their target location. They had a map of the apartment where members of Chicago's Black Panther Party were sleeping, including Chairman Fred Hampton. I'm Andre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. I have a complicated relationship with black trauma movies. Last year, I made a YouTube video about Hollywood's black trauma complex and how black people are more likely to be cast in leading roles when the plots of these movies involve black struggle or trauma. Here's a small clip from that video. So at 3 a.m., I got on the worldwide interweb and did a little digging like Wade from Kim Possible. I wanted to see what percentage of Hollywood movies in the last five years had black lead characters or predominantly black cast. And going off of that, I wanted to see what percentage of these black movies contained plots encapsulated in black trauma. So through my research, I analyzed the cast and plots of every American movie released between 2017 and the end of 2021. And the results I found were... Disappointing, but not surprising. Why would you say that? Why would you say that? Between 2017 and 2021, 1,330 movies have been either slated or released in America, and only 138 of these movies had black leads or predominantly black casts. That's a whopping 10%. So you get the point. So last year, I saw Judas and the Black Messiah, starring Daniel Kaluuya as Chairman Fred Hampton and Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill. 
I went into the movie thinking that it would be yet another tale of black trauma that was loosely portrayed on the screen as a cheap cash grab, like Queen and Slim, a movie that I have many issues with. But Judas and the Black Messiah was different, at least to me. It was a beautiful film that wonderfully portrayed the life of Chairman Fred Hampton, a complicated individual that seems to never really be on the conscience of the American people, at least not for long. I never hear conversations about Fred Hampton or the Black Panther Party as much as I do other things and subjects, and that can just be me. We have so many conversations and stories about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. When I personally look at Fred Hampton in a similar light, and watching this movie, I felt like I was learning so many new things about not only Fred Hampton, but the Black Panther Party as a whole. And I think the movie portrayed him as such, someone to be revered with the likes of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. But it also shed a light on the conspiracy that tragically took the life of Fred Hampton at the age of 21 years old. Fred Hampton was the charismatic young leader of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. The organization was founded by a pair of black college students in Oakland, California in 1966. The students were named Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. They preached black uplift, empowerment, and armed resistance to racial hate and violence. They were for the people, by the people. That a wealth of initiatives, which included the free breakfast program, which fed thousands of hungry children. Fred Hampton joined this chapter of the Black Panther Party in 1968 and quickly rose up the ranks with his charismatic attitude, phenomenal speaking ability, bravado, and ability to lead and bring people together. He bridged racial lines and united marginalized groups across Chicago, forming what he called the Rainbow Coalition. He didn't shy away from confrontation and his beliefs against the police, along with the Panthers' ascent, put a target on Fred's back. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. If you spend enough time on the internet, you'll hear stories of revered, almost immortal figures who were assassinated or died too early. Say things that allude to the fact that they knew their death was coming. People will look at quotes and interviews from Martin Luther King, Tupac Shakur, Malcolm X, among others, and the same could be said for Chairman Fred Hampton. Two weeks before he was killed in November of 1969, Fred Hampton gave a speech at a Baptist church in Chicago to a thunderous and raucous crowd. He was quoted saying, the next time you see me, I may be in a collar and tie. Fred was not known to dress up in formal wear, so it was understood that he was alluding to his own funeral. Fred Hampton's parents found out that their son was dead through the radio. 
A reporter from WBBM All News Radio reported that the Black Panther leader, Fred Hampton, and another Panther were killed at 4.30 a.m. that morning in a shootout at 2337 West Monroe. Now, the word shootout and the usage of it is very pertinent here. It's always really interesting how wording and things of that nature are used and their intention as it relates to the actual truth. But I digress. The news was reporting that the police had a search warrant to conduct on the apartment that was being housed by the Black Panthers and the Panthers opened fire on the police. They were being painted as the aggressors. The reports were saying the Panthers opened fire and the police simply returned fire. They were protecting themselves. Two officers were injured along with four Black Panthers who were taken to Cook County Jail. The report said that the raiding police officers that were there were assigned to the state attorney, Edward Hanrahan. Hanrahan and Fred Hampton did not have the best relationship, and Hanrahan actually campaigned on the platform War on Gangs. And it was no secret that law enforcement and politicians viewed the Black Panther Party as a gang, a violent gang, that was very publicly anti-police. I mean, the raid that the police conducted was because they said the Black Panther apartment was a weapons depot. And Fred Hampton had openly criticized Hanrahan in his speeches, calling Hanrahan's words a war on black youth. So it's safe to say that they did not have the best relationship. And those attitudes were shown all through Chicago law enforcement and politics and the way in which the Black Panthers were treated by law enforcement. Fred Hampton's mother, was always weary about her son's membership in the Black Panther Party. It also didn't help that he was the chairman of his chapter. She always wondered, why did he have to be the spokesperson, the one out front? She thought he would one day become a police target and the target for any insidious plans the powers that be had to crush the uprising of a powerful black organization. The radio reports went on to say that the other Panther killed in the shootout was 18-year-old Mark Clark. The police stated that they were fired upon from the back bedroom where Fred was found dead. Interesting. Fred was the one who fired the shots? Hmm. Yeah, okay. Moreover, there were survivors of the raid, including the pregnant fiance of Fred Hampton. State Attorney Hanrahan had also made it so that none of the survivors could speak to anyone down at the police station where they were all taken in. Hanrahan had also given a report that said, the immediate violent criminal reaction of the occupants in shooting at announced police officers emphasizes the extreme viciousness of the Black Panther Party. But let's uncover the real story. A lawyer with the People's Law Office named Jeff Haas was eventually permitted to speak to Deborah Johnson, Fred Hampton's eight-month pregnant fiance. In this meeting, she was able to give an account of what went down that fateful morning the best she could. She said that she and her baby were okay, thank God. She was not shot like some of the others. The police officers just pushed her around. She said, Fred really never woke up. We were sleeping. I woke up hearing gunshots from the front and back. I shook Fred, but he didn't open his eyes. At one point, he raised up but laid back down even amongst all the commotion. She said during all of the commotion, she crawled on top of him to protect him and couldn't find any blood on him. Fred had not been shot. Why was he dazed and semi-conscious? She said that police came into the bedroom and shouted to each other that there was a pregnant woman in the room. They lifted up her nightgown to examine her and confirmed that she was indeed pregnant. They then forced her into the kitchen, which was a few feet away from the room where she and Fred had been sleeping. 
She said through all of this, Fred still hadn't woken up. She said two police officers then went into the bedroom, fired two shots and said, he's good and dead now. Deborah and the other surviving Panthers were dragged into the kitchen, handcuffed and made to face a wall where they couldn't see the officers or what was happening in the other room. They could, however, hear the officers bragging, Fred Hampton, the Black Panther chairman, is dead. So what happened? The police initially said there was a shootout initiated by the Panthers and Fred Hampton, with shots coming from Hampton's room in the back, and that's how Hampton and Mark Clark were killed. And language like that justifies those deaths in the eyes of the law. And this is how the news report sounded, how politicians sounded, how Hanrahan sounded, how the police sounded. But Deborah Johnson says that Fred wasn't even awake for the entire ordeal. He never woke up and then was executed in his sleep, unarmed, defenseless. Who would you believe? The Chicago police who had a history of a vendetta against Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers? Or Fred's sobbing, traumatized, pregnant fiancé who was in a police station in her nightgown after her fiancé was murdered in cold blood. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So, what happened? Jeffrey Haas, the lawyer, was able to interview two more Panthers who were also asleep in the same apartment that night. Harold Bell, a Vietnam War veteran, and Louis Trulock. Trulock described how he had been asleep in the living room near the front of the apartment, and he heard footsteps near the entrance and then a knock at the door. Trulock asked, who is it? And somebody responded, Tommy. Then gunfire erupted from outside the apartment door. They rushed from the living room to awake Fred as men with guns were coming through the front and coming through the back door. He jumped onto Fred and yelled, Chairman, the pigs are vamping! But Fred would not wake up. He was then pulled into the living room and kicked in the groin, where he was then made to lie spread eagle on the floor. Trulock said the police were moving through the apartment strategically. They knew where everything was. They knew what they were doing. It was strategic. After the madness, and as he stand handcuffed, about to be led out of the apartment, Trulock said he saw Fred's body dragged onto the kitchen floor. He was motionless and lay in a pool of his own blood in his underwear. He could tell that Fred had been shot in the head. Trulock said that Mark Clark's body had also been lying on the floor in the front of the apartment. When the police initially burst into the apartment, Mark Clark reached for a shotgun and was shot through the heart dying instantly. Bell and Trulock explained how things happened so quickly, the Panthers didn't even have time to pick up their weapons. The police were moving quickly and diligently, like they had a plan. They said down at the police station, they noticeably heard police officers bragging about Fred's death. After it was all said and done, four Black Panthers lay wounded, two dead. 
ballistic reports showed that more than 90 rounds were fired from the police. On February 3, 1973, the Chicago Tribune identified a man named Bill O'Neill, a black man who was both a former security chief for the Black Panther Party and FBI informant who gave information that aided in the raid on that fateful December night in 1969. Bill O'Neill had supplied the FBI with a detailed diagram which the police used in the raid, and it was also suspected that he aided in the drugging of Fred Hampton, which is why he was barely conscious during the raid and couldn't defend himself. O'Neill had gotten tied up with the FBI while he was serving time in a Cook County jail. In 1967, the FBI, led by its director, J. Edgar Hoover, had launched COINTELPRO, a program aimed at undermining and eradicating black militants. Anti-war protesters actually broke into a Pennsylvania FBI office and found incriminating documentation that included a memo from Hoover, which ordered FBI agents to disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or neutralize militant groups. When the Chicago Black Panther Party opened its doors in November of 1968, they eventually became a target of the COINTELPRO program. Bill O'Neill was made to infiltrate the group. O'Neill said that once he infiltrated the program, he became to actually like the Panthers because, newsflash, they weren't bad people at all. They were doing the work for the community, for the black community. They were the good guys. But O'Neill said that he felt somewhat proud to be on the law enforcement side but admitted that he was just a pawn in one big game. Bill O'Neill committed suicide in January of 1990. This episode was made in memory of Fred Hampton and every other black leader that was taken from us entirely too soon. Long live the chairman. Until next time. Yo, if you like the Redacted History podcast, we're growing the platform. We're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, and we're on Patreon. If you want extra content, video content, exclusive giveaways, and things of that nature, follow us elsewhere. Follow us everywhere. You can find the links to all of that in the show notes below. Yo, I'm so appreciative of the community that we're growing here at the Redacted History Podcast. If you like what you hear and what you see from the show, if you like this episode, let me know about it and give a review below. And also give a rating. Make sure it's five stars. I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.